I look at clients as being teammates. It's not about me telling you what to do. It's about us working together as a team to get you where you want to go. Hey, friends, it's Steve. Want to know how a $5 book lands a $5,000 client? I've recorded a 15-minute video showing you our magnetic author method. It's up now at magneticauthor.co slash video. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO podcast. We're actually doing a joint episode of uh, the Unstoppable CEO, the Advisor Inner Circle, and John H. Curry's Secure Retirement podcast. Uh, my name is Steve Gordon. I am here with John Curry. John, good to see you. Welcome. Hello, Steve. Hi, folks. So this is uh, number two in a series of what I think is going to be three episodes, John. And uh, for those who maybe missed the last episode, I'll give kind of a quick recap to get everybody up to speed. But we haven't done a joint episode like this in about six months because in uh, late February and, and then into early March, you had a bit of a, a health crisis. Uh, the result of that was that you had your right leg amputated above the knee. We talked kind of in depth about you know the, the story behind that in the last episode. So if you're coming in uh, new to, to this episode, uh, I really recommend you go back and listen to that. We talked about some things around mindset and how John really was able to use a lot of the mindset tools that you know we come across in business and entrepreneurship and personal development and use that to to turn what what is you know for for everyone that hears about it is a shocking and really almost horrific thing to have happen to you. Uh, but you've you've found a way to, to press forward and really move your life ahead in a very positive way. And, and uh, that's really the, the focus of, of these three episodes, because I've had the privilege of observing this transformation. And I just think there's so much to learn from, and I wanted to, to have this conversation and, and bring it out to folks, John. So that's, hopefully that sets the stage. If, if you feel like I left anything out, fill in the blanks, please. But well said. <clears throat> So uh, we talked a lot about this mindset shift last time, and we shared a couple of, of tools um, that you used to make that shift. You know, and one of the things that that happened in this process, I mean, if it's bad enough that you went through the first surgery, you had your leg amputated, uh, you were in the hospital for about a week, then you were in rehab for two weeks, and then you went home to continue recovering. And if it had all ended there, that would have been enough for most people. But the same issue started to become a possibility in your other leg, you know, with the circulation blockage uh, being a potential there and the doctor feeling, uh, you know, concerned about that. And so why don't you walk us through real quickly what happened with the other leg? Because this turned from something that, you know, maybe was a two-month recovery into we're four months in now and you're, you're really just kind of back within the last week or two. Well, it was two things. It was uh, some infection in the where they did the amputation in the right leg, which is what prompted uh, another stay. So while we were reviewing and checking out the infection, the surgeon said, look, I know that you've been concerned about the left leg and you made it clear that when you walk in the door, uh, that it's going to be like the John Curry Express Lane, that you were going straight to the head of the line to have ultrasounds done and things like that. So we were kidding around about it. He said, I understand that. And he said, I've lost some sleep over this myself. So I want to do a bypass on that left leg. So what he was doing is anticipating the stents having a problem and blood clotting backing up in it. So he said, when you heal, then we'll do that. 
And then we got to thinking about it, and we did an angiogram on a Tuesday, uh, May 11th, to be exact. And we decided, because what we saw on the uh, screen, screening and the ultrasound, that it didn't make sense to wait. So we decided that he would go ahead and do the bypass, which meant going in, cutting me up and then the groin again, putting a tube down my leg, in, uh, connecting an artery, and then a uh, big uh, uh, slit in my calf. And while I was under, as he put it, he would go clean up the infection in my right leg. So I ended up with a hole big enough that a tennis ball would go in. And uh, this morning when I changed the uh, dressing, which is nothing more nasty than a Band-Aid over it with some neosporin inside it on the wound, it was about the size of uh, a nickel. The whole That's fantastic. Out. Yeah, thank you. But speaking of productivity, one of the things that helped that was a machine called a wound vac. So for three weeks, 24-7, that was on me while I was in the rehab, the second bout. And that machine just did an amazing thing, make it more productive for healing. But that, but that's the gist of it without belaboring the point. Well, so the, that's what sent you back to rehab. So you were in the hospital for a few days. Was, was it a full week? I don't recall. It was a full week and then three full weeks over at rehab. So, so I had in a space of four months, I had 49 damn days in hospital and, and rehab hospitals. Yeah. And, uh, and tough, uh, you put the uh, soapbox out and stood on it and gave us all a speech about COVID last time, uh, <laughs> and quit using it as an excuse, but, but the hospitals are still using COVID as an excuse to not let anybody come visit you. And so you were alone for a lot of that time, uh, because of visitation restrictions. And so you had all this time where you needed to recover, but at the same time, you are like most of us, you know, you get bored and you had things that you wanted to get done. And, and you knew that coming out of, uh, out of all of this, once you were back in the world, that, that, uh, there were just some of the normal kind of, uh, conveniences that had to be, you had new accommodations you needed both in your house to get a wheelchair to move around with the vehicle, <laughs> you know, with a number of other things. And you had things going on in the business as well. And I came to visit you one day in rehab and you were at one point during that day, um, you were telling me you were a little frustrated, you know, cause you couldn't, you felt like you just weren't making any progress. And I said, I, you had already ticked off all the things that you had gotten done or had in the works. And I said, well, some of them you witnessed and some of them you I, participated yeah, I witnessed in. It. <laughs> and I said, you're an, I, I said, you're an idiot. You're the most productive man in rehab. Quit complaining. And it's true because you'd walk in the halls there and I described this the last time, but you'd walk in the halls there and walking back to, you know, to your room, you'd hear people, you know, they'd be complaining to nurses, they'd be, you know, moaning in pain and not to minimize the pain that they were in or any of that. But, but you were an anomaly in that whole situation, both um, from my experience and then listening to the medical staff that would come in and out while I was there visiting you it was very clear that, that you were on a different trajectory than everybody. And so the day I was there, you know, I witnessed you, you know, what, well, I don't know if it all happened that day, but let me just kind of recount what I recall. So you had a, okay. a large piece of property um, out, out of town. I don't remember how many acres, but it was a big, big piece of property. You sold that in rehab. You sold both your trucks, <laughs> bought a new truck all from the rehab bed. I think this was still at the point where you were pretty much stuck in the bed most of the time. 
we're going to get to the team and the business and all of that because business pretty well continued as if you had been there. Great credit to you for building the team and great credit to your team for for executing and doing a fantastic job. And uh, you also, during this time, got moving on renovations to your house from the rehab bed so that that would be underway. Uh, am I leaving anything out? I'm sure there's probably more. Some of it had gotten started a little bit sooner, but all of it started while I was in either the hospital or the rehab hospital because I quickly realized that things had to be done. And Steve's right. I, I literally uh, sold a Tahoe and a uh, Silverado pickup truck, did a trade on the pickup truck, and bought another uh, uh, truck, a um, Nissan Titan, in fact, without even uh, able to sit in it because I had been bedridden, like I said, for 10 days. And then finally, I was able to use a wheelchair. So when I called the owner of the dealership, he had a salesman bring it over. And I wheeled outside. First time I'd been outside in two weeks, I guess. Maybe a week and a half. And I was able to look at it, but I couldn't even get in it. I could because I couldn't stand at the time. And I looked at it and I said, okay, what is this? What is that? And it seemed to work. And I said, okay, uh, go appraise mine. And if you guys give me enough for it, we'll make the deal. So about two hours later, I get a call. Okay, not only are we going to uh, do the trade, we'll actually uh, owe you money. I said, okay, that's, that's nice. That's nice. And then I enlisted Steve's aid. Uh, it turned out to be he and uh, his wife, Aaron. Uh, he actually, on that was on Friday, we were together on Saturday. I had found this house I was checking out. So Steve actually went to the property and using uh, his phone and videoing. Uh, yeah, we FaceTimed. FaceTimed, thank you. Yeah, it showed me every room in, in the house and uh, we determined that wasn't going to work for me because of the amount of work it would take to fix it up and to make it uh, wheelchair accessible. And yeah, I had for, was- forgotten through all of this, you were shopping for a, a new house. <laughs> yeah. In that whole process and then decided, no, I better just renovate what I've got. Well, I, and I decided that let's talk about that because, because there's two reasons for it. Number one, it will accommodate my needs quicker and give me the most efficient and effective way to utilize the space I've got. And if I decide I want another place, I still have this local close to the office, close to everything as my home base. And I may decide not to buy another one. Although I saw, I'm, I'm looking at one tomorrow that if I, if it gives me what I think it is, I may uh, buy it on a lake somewhere and have both. If not, at least I have what I've got. But the whole point though is, is productivity is, determine what needs to be done and then do it. Well, yes. And I want to kind of talk about how you got things done. Okay. Uh, First of all, I I was going to say, well, most people couldn't get that much done if they wanted to without all of that and not from a rehab bed. I'm going to change that and say, I think I would have had trouble getting all of that done in the time you got it done, not dealing with what you were dealing with and being out in the world and being able to operate normally because I do think I'd have a hard time getting all that done. Um, it was it was kind of amazing to watch. And this isn't about patting you on the back. I think the thing to learn here is, um, as I watched you do that, you were able to, and I talked about this in the last episode, because you'd flipped your mindset and you got focused on growth and where you were going, and you had this 
you know, this future point that you were kind of aiming at, you had a target and you were moving and people could see and sense that you were moving that attracted people to you that wanted to help you. Okay. And so then you leveraged this concept that we've talked about a lot that, uh, you know, our, our mentor, Dan Sullivan talks about, wrote a book about it with Ben Hardy called who not how. And so sitting in that rehab bed, you weren't able to do much of anything except pick up a phone and send a text and send an email. And so you were able to, because of all of those things, having that future focused, hey, I've got this target, I'm going here, who can I get to help me get there? What do I need? Once you decided what you needed, you started reaching out to people and enlisting them in your mission, you know, and it was a compelling mission, people wanted to help. So talk a little bit about that, because to me, that's the key for accomplishing all those things. Well, let me spend a little bit of time on the team for just a minute, and then we'll circle back on how to determine the right who. I'm very fortunate. And every time I say that, somebody say, yeah, but you did this. Yes, I did. I did the work. I hired April Schoen, and then I hired Jay Wolf. April hired Audie. April brought Zach to the table. All that's true. But all of that started when I realized I determined what needed to be done was to build a team of people so that no matter what happened to me, if I died on the operating table, which I could have during the open heart surgery in 2008, um, they warned me that I could have they said, you may die on the operating table. This is a dangerous thing we're doing. There's no guarantee. So, but I had peace of mind of knowing this time that I had everything in place and I did during my heart surgery. But I realized years ago, that's what, 13 years ago now, I guess it was, July 10th, be 13 years ago, heart surgery. You were there with me so, through it. So I realized that I had to build a team so that I could have freedom. What kind of freedom? Well, if I ever wanted to retire, freedom to truly retire, take trips, do things. But also I realized because friends around me who had suffered strokes and heart attacks, what if I had become incapacitated? I think I'm Superman. I think I can do whatever hell I want to do. I think I'll do it to be 100 years old and still be uh, strong. But I don't know that. So if I become incapacitated, who's going to take care of my clients? So I started on this journey of looking for the right people, the who. I didn't know as who then. And then uh, I hired April. She joined me uh, as a paid employee for five years. Then she became an advisory on her own right and doing very well. So I've been very fortunate to have those people in place. And Jay Wolf, who worked with another advisor in our firm, that advisor died. His son decided not to continue the business and, and wanted me to take over some of the clientele. And I said, okay. And he says, I got another issue. I have a very, very loyal employee that uh, I think would be a good fit. So I called him the very next day. Again, don't wait too long. Uh, by the way, back to April. The minute I got the email about her from a colleague, I called her, got her voicemail, left a message. She called me back and we talked. And then the minute that, uh, that my, my friend told me about, Brent told me about Jay, made a call. We talked the next day. So it comes back to action. You can think about it all damn day long, Steve, but if you don't take action, doesn't mean you got to get it all done today. But I wrote something down, you were talking a while ago, determine what needs to be done, then take action. It might be the smallest piece of action, but at least start moving forward, at least move in that direction. Also thought about something else earlier that I forgot to mention. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, what does not kill us 
makes us stronger. You know, so we can learn from all these adversities, if we will, or we can give up, give up hope. But the team helped me in a lot of ways to be more productive, not just because of business, but also along the way, I look at clients as being teammates. It's not about me telling you what to do. It's about us working together as a team to get you where you want to go. So we have a great clientele of people that, uh, respect us, trust us. They love us. We love them. It's not just about making money. This, this is this is a. This sounds corny, but I, I love the people on my team. They love me. I mean, they come see me. You know, when they couldn't come see me because for a while, I'm only allowed one visitor per day for a certain limited time. So when they could see me, it was special. But we talked on the phone pretty much every day. Uh, if it wasn't but just for two or three minutes. Uh, but client-wise, uh, they took care of our clientele. And that's not my clientele. I tell people real clearly, company officials, oh, you've got this, you've done it. No, 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 you don't understand. This is Team Curry. This is not my clientele anymore. It is our clientele. Our clientele. And I will say this uh, to business owners and advisors especially, there's way too much ego involved. It's all about me, 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 my, my, my. I did this, I did that. No, you didn't. You had some help. You had some help. So for me, when I made that transition to going from being, uh, doing it all by myself, Dan talks about being the rugged individual. I learned this back in 1994 to building a unique team around you. Changed my world. And I'm, and I'm living proof right now of, of that happening uh, because the business has prospered. And I got in trouble the other day with April because I made it, and she'll probably hear this at some point. So telling the truth here, I'd made a comment to her, well, you guys don't need me anymore. You're doing such a good job. You don't need me. I think I'll just go ahead and retire. Well, she got on my butt the other day. We had a team meeting and then she had a, we had a one-on-one. She says, you've got to stop saying that. It irritates me when you do that. Yes, we can do some things and don't need you, but we, you're wanted here. We love you. We want you here and you want to be here. So stop saying that. And I said, you're right. And I thought that was my sense of having some humor. But you know what? She was right. People don't want to hear that. They just want to just say please and thank you and let them know you care. Let them know you care. Absolutely. I don't envision you retiring. I don't, you don't have enough hobbies to keep yourself busy. Well, I hope and pray I never retire. I hope that what I do is I carve out time to go do things I want to do with my lady, you know, do some things by myself. I can promise you when the weather cools down, I've already talked with two people. Uh, that do fishing, uh, uh, fishing guides, and I will be bass fishing again. I do not want to own a boat. I don't want to run a boat. I don't want to pull a boat. I'm a, the thing I'm going to do, I'm going to drive up to the landing with them. And by then, I'll have my prosthesis. We should talk about that as far as productivity and goal setting here in a minute, too. But from the standpoint of that growth mindset you talked about, people say to me, are you going to get a prosthesis? I said, well, of course. Why wouldn't I? But it's almost like, hell yes. <laughs> how quickly now, I've been set back at three weeks to a month because of the infection that I mentioned earlier, but I met with a guy last Friday. We're moving forward. We're ahead of schedule on that. We'll probably start work on it uh, a couple of weeks, three weeks max. But anyway, did I cover what you were to cover there? Yeah, I think so. And I, I didn't expect this to be a very long episode, but I, I, I wanted to point out that even in the midst of all of this, you were incredibly productive. And again, point is not to 
uh, yes, acknowledge the accomplishment. It was pretty amazing to watch, but you know, you don't need me patting your back over that on a podcast. The, to me, the lesson to share here is that we can all get done the things that we want to get done. If we're clear and decisive about what it is that we want to do, that we have a, a target out there in mind and that we go enlist people who have the unique talents that are necessary to get it done. And I think too many people try and do it all on them, take it all on themselves, business owners especially, think we got to do it all ourselves. And speed, I think, comes from going out and recruiting other people to be a part of your mission. I want to modify something you said uh, in two ways. Number one, I don't think we'll always get what we want and be productive, but I think we have to I'll go back to what I wrote down, determine what needs to be done and take action. And I'm going to share, we've done, we've done this before in other things for you and I talked about, but at one time you gave me one heck of a hard time down in Winter Park because I was whining about something going vacillating back and forth, justifying buying a watch band. And Steve says, want what you want. And again, we got that from our mentors, um, Dan Sullivan. So I'm getting impatient with people now who tell me what they don't want, and I, including clients. Happened yesterday briefly, and I got to get off of it. Oh, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. I'm great. I've heard that several times now. Tell me what you want. And I'll let you know, can I help you or not? If I can't, we'll save some time. Because I'm not going to lie to you. If I can't do it, I'm, why would I lie to you and tell you I can do something? If I can't deliver, I'm going to look like a schmuck. So I'll either say, yes, I can help you with that, or no, I can't. And if I can't, maybe I have a colleague or even a friendly competitor who can help. But I think we have got to learn every walking person out there or rolling around in a wheelchair if you're not walking. You, you've got to find a way to just get rid of this uh, hangup of saying, I don't know. And I, I'm to the point where I don't answer every question. You ask me a question, I'm going to say, is that really important that you have the answer? Well, not really. I, just, I was just curious. Then why the hell would I spend 45 minutes or an hour of my life researching something you don't even care? Don't do it. Find out if the person truly cares enough that they will invest some of their own time. And I don't care who you are. If we cross paths, you can be a client, you can be an advisor, you can have a friend, future friend. My, my style is real simple. Let's get to the point. I don't mind some chit chatting. I do. I probably talk too much in, in that area, but let's determine what we want to do and go get it. And if we don't want it, what do we do then? We say, whoops, uh, this isn't working. It's okay. Let's undo it as nice as we can. Uh, let's not create enemies. Uh, I told you this morning about a challenge I had with the guy working on my house. Dealt with it head on yesterday and today, and we're good. We're good. But if you let things fester up, uh, then it's like my leg, it becomes infected and it's more complicated. Just deal with it up front. Well, I want to modify that. I don't think it, it becomes infected is not the right, right way to say it. You become infected by the negativity. Ooh, there you go. I like that better. And that, and that'll eat you up and kill you if you will go far enough. Um, so I had another thought, but we'll come back to it. I think in the next episode, I, I think this is probably a good place to kind of just put a bow on, on this because the key here folks is get, get clear, get clear, take action on what you want. Um, know what you want. It is, um, I think it's more difficult to know what you want than what you don't want. And the, the clear evidence of that is whenever you ask 
at least whenever I ask one of my kids what they want for dinner, they can, or where they want to go if we're going out somewhere. Uh, they always know where they don't want to go, but they can never tell you what they do want. And so I think it's a difficult thing, but no progress can be made until you know what you want. Let's talk about this for a second before we end this, and maybe we'll pick it sure. up in the next episode. But most people listening to this are going to be asking, okay, but how do I determine that? How do I determine what I want? So and I think you have to determine what do you want of yourself, you know, health-wise, fitness, uh, what do you want spiritually? What do you want in relationships, family, uh, a loved one? What is it you're looking for? I, I think that is a, you could, we could do an entire episode just on how do you determine what you want? That W-A-N-T is a big word. It is. Um, and I think we've all struggled with that. Uh, part of it is giving yourself permission, right? We're so, um, I think, trained sometimes, um, you know, not to, to be really honest about all that we really want. Sometimes, you know, we, we feel guilty about that. And I think that's a little bit foolish to do so, but it's there, it's real. You know, I think it's a hard thing to get clear about. I do like the idea of, of breaking it down into the various areas of life. You know, I've, you know, that I've made big fitness goals. Um, I turned 50 a couple of weeks ago and, and yeah, you old goals. I know. <laughs> <laughs> One of my big goals was to be in, in better physical shape at 50 than I was at 20. I actually achieved that. I set that goal when I was 45. I achieved it, I don't know, by the time I was 47, almost 48. Yes, you have. Um, and so then it was just a matter of, okay, how do I build on top of that? And honestly, one of the, I, I kind of got into a little bit of complacency there because I had achieved that goal, but I hadn't, I hadn't looked out ahead to the next mountaintop as it related to fitness. And so it's sometimes it's hard to do when you've achieved something to say, okay, well, what's, what's the next meaningful goal that I really want? And it's not always immediately apparent. Sometimes you've got to, to, to think a little bit. And you mentioned in the last episode, the book, The Dip by Seth Godin. I remember reading that and you and I had a conversation around that. For those of you who haven't read the book, um, he describes this process, you know, you set this goal and then you, you know, you start going towards it. And at some point, usually in the process of achievement, there is this, this dip, this kind of valley of despair that you get into because you realize this is going to be a lot harder than I thought it was. And maybe obstacles pop up that you hadn't anticipated. And, you know, and he describes kind of two, two paths there. You either are in the dip and you've just got to push through it and, and you kind of come up the other side out of the dip. Or you might be in what he calls a cul-de-sac where, you know, you've gone down and there's no exit from it. And I struggled, I'll be honest with you, John, I struggled for a long time trying to understand when I'm in one or the other. And, and what I actually have come to out of that is that this idea of wanting what you want is, is almost always the answer. Uh, because there are very few things that you can't actually overcome the obstacle, with, if you know what the obstacle is. There are some, but there are very few. And really, it's more about, you know, if you're down in that cul-de-sac, it's probably because you've decided subconsciously that you don't want the goal anymore. And so you've actually stopped climbing up out of the dip, but you haven't acknowledged it. So you're stuck down there. I'm going to make a comment there. I have been pushed and prodded for the past 20 years. I won't name the organization, but to quote, lead this organization. 
And every time I get tempted because of the ego, oh, you know, we can't do without you. You're to be the best of this. You, you, yo, man, you, we need what you got. Come on, man, be, we need you. I, the minute that starts, I either get out the CD of this book or I go home and I get the book down. I've read it probably a hundred times. I go back in there and I read it. And I go, people who know what they want can say no faster and mean it. And then some things you have to push through. Like right now, I, I'm in a dip. Okay, anyway, you get it. You're in the dip. The dip is not bad. The dip is you're, you're making progress, but, but is it worth it? Not only yes, but hell yes. It's worth it to get better, to get healthier. I'm already stronger than, than most people would have thought I've been coming out of rehab but I want to be strong enough to where I can go get that uh, prosthesis and be able to carry on my life. The guy asked me last Friday, what do you want to do physically? I want to ride a bicycle again, take long walks with my girlfriend. And I don't really care about uh, running or jogging. We'd like to do some martial arts again, but it's not that urgent, but I want to be able to walk up and down steps without having to worry about falling and not have to use a wheelchair all the time. Now you got, that's motivation. So I got news for you. I'll do whatever it takes that's legally, morally, ethically right to get there. Okay. So that's what I want. Now in the dip, dealing with the pain and the aggravation and the headache and the sometimes heartache of it, I've got enough motivation at the end of that to get me through that dip. But let me tell you what I don't have patience for anymore with myself or anyone else. The minute that I see myself on the cul-de-sac, I address it. That's what happened with the gentleman yesterday doing work at my house. I realize we're on the same thing. I'm getting the same thing over and over and over and over. I said, no, hell no. We're either going to blow this thing up or fix it, one or the other. And when you have that mindset, all of a sudden things get better because you're prepared to walk away. And guess what? Things change. So they change. But we could do a whole bunch of sessions on this. I like this. I haven't gotten into this in a long time. All right. Well, hey, let's uh, let's wrap it there. I, I think all of this stuff ties together. I think being clear on what you want is really kind of the first step to productivity. Then once you're clear, enlisting people in the mission and and uh, getting things done so that it's not all you and, and honestly relying on people who are way better at making certain things happen than you are. And, and I think uh, understanding when you don't want something anymore and, and uh, using that as a productivity tool as well to get yourself out of commitments that you're or obligations that you're no longer committed to, um, I think are all important. So well, um, maybe let me say this real quick before I forget, maybe what we have to do sometimes is let somebody do something that's not as good as we are at it. Yeah. But that one, let that one just kind of sink in for a minute. Maybe we'll pick up on that on the other side. Let's uh, let's actually let that be the, the segue into uh into talking about team, not that your team isn't as good as, as they need to be. They're very, very good, but that's, that's the reason that most entrepreneurs don't build a team. So with that folks, um, we've got one more in this series of conversations. Um, we're going to talk about John's team in the next episode and how they were really integral to this, this entire process. And, uh, we're, we'll talk about it from a couple of angles from the client angle, uh, because we know there are a lot of John, your clients will be listening to these and we're going to talk about it from the, the business owner's angle because there's lessons across there for both. So we'll be back in the next episode, John, again, enjoyed it. Always learned a lot. I always learn a lot in these conversations. I'm glad we, we're having them. Thanks for listening to the unstoppable CEO podcast. 
help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.